Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. And I have Dr. Jared Brown back as a guest again today. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Kathleen. Thank you for having me back. You're welcome. And we are going to, well, he is going to talk about self-compassion, like being compassionate to yourself, which we all need. We all need to give ourselves grace and space, correct? Absolutely. doesn't matter if you're a parent or a non-parent. Having more self-compassion is so is really linked to so many health benefits, hmm. brain-based health, body emotional, social, the list goes on. So I, I, we can't go wrong with infusing these principles into our day-to-day life for parenting, for family, friends, on the job, whatever we do, I think this can enhance just our overall health and well-being and outlook on life. I agree. And I will say as a mom and talking to many, many other moms, moms really suffer from mom guilt especially when they take time to take care of themselves and they're not very compassionate towards themselves. I think parents do this a lot, not just moms, but dads too. And that is why I really wanted you to talk about this topic. It is so important. Yeah, I I really do think this, this is an antidote to so many threats to our emotional and behavioral health. By no means am I saying it's going to like hear everything but I think it can definitely take the edge off on a lot of things including just how we manage our stress Mm -hmm. so this is a big component of like having good stress management as well and then for feeling better we have more self-compassion what do you think happens we now have more compassion for other people Mm. it can build our resilience we typically sleep better we have more hopeful thinking or just better to be around to be honest with you I really believe it the research is pretty pretty clear on that too well and it sounds kind of backwards you know because I think in in my brain I'm thinking okay if I just serve others first and put others first and don't care for myself then I will be more loving and caring but it's kind of backfires on me yeah I think if we're always externally giving to everybody else mm-hmm thinking it's going to come back at us, it, it might not. We have to, I think there has to be a balance, of course. Mm. I mean, 
we can't always be self-focused all the time. We have to have a balance of self-focusedness and then giving to others. I mean, there's a lot of research out there on the benefits of volunteering. That's been shown to lead to so many health out, good health outcomes. But then if we're always go, 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 giving, giving, giving to everybody else, we're much more likely to burn out and be tired and get sick and have colds and flus and we might even put on weight and spike up our insulin levels in our body, our inflammation, our depression, our anxiety. So like everything, I think we have to have some balance here and boundaries too. And it's okay to take time for ourselves as well. Right. And I think what you were saying is, you know, volunteering is wonderful. It's great. But I have fallen into that trap before of only volunteering and doing things for other people and then you can get stuck in that trap of resentment because like you said just a few minutes ago it's it's not coming back to you it's not you're wondering why while I'm doing all of these things why am I not feeling great and why are other people not reciprocating and that can be a really difficult place to live yeah it sure can and it it can result in just classic symptoms of burnout Mm -hmm. so we hear about burnout in the workplace but there's also parental burnout and that's a real thing and parental burnout has actually been linked to increased risk of engaging in child abuse and maltreatment now Mm -hmm. by no means am i saying if a parent's burned out they're going to abuse their child but people who abuse their children are more likely to be dealing with some burnout symptoms so this has a lot of implications on many levels. So and in trauma-informed parenting, let's say because burnout is real when you are parenting a child with a trauma history or a child who has a capital letter syndrome, FASD, ASD, ADHD, like the list goes on forever, it's very easy to get burnt out. And so how would these parents practice this compassion towards themselves well are you okay if we start with kind of what this is so your sure. audience knows sure. the dimensions of it and how, how we define it what it looks like and then i'll definitely move into some strategies and what what that does but really think of self-compassion almost as the opposite end of the spectrum as self-criticism so if you start infusing self-compassion into the equation in theory it should bring down self-criticism and if we have less self-criticism hopefully that will help us not have guilt and shame in theory too it should help improve our resilience and self-confidence and lead to overall increased happiness and physical and emotional well-being so if you look at various definitions of self-compassion in the research literature It really talks about just being kind and understanding to ourselves. So Mm -hmm. think of it almost as like self-directed empathy or self-directed like like warmth to ourselves. Like the way we think of ourselves, the way we talk about ourselves. If we think of ourselves in a very positive manner, even when we mess up or make a mistake or um, just something bad happened, if we can practice self-compassion, we're much more likely to handle failure and criticism and disappointments and setbacks 
way better than if we don't ever practice this. So if someone harshly judges themselves Hmm. and just looks in the mirror all the time and just has negative thinking and I should have did this better. Why did I say that? I'm stupid. That Mm -hmm. is not good. It's not healthy, obviously. If we can practice the self-compassion, hopefully that'll bring that down. If you look at the self-compassion literature, I would encourage you to look at like Kristen Neff's work. She's kind of the guru in this area. Lots of videos on YouTube, workbooks, good website, all that stuff. But three basic components really fall under the umbrella of self-compassion. Self-kindness is one. So we're really thinking about just having greater kindness for ourselves and having increased understanding for ourselves. Mm. The other component is common humanity. So we really see that our experiences are really part of a larger group of what we experience. We're not alone in this. Mm. We all feel this way from time to time. And if we can have that common humanity, we realize that, you know, we're we're not the only ones that have guilt or shame or we feel embarrassed or we should have did this different. If we really recognize that, it kind of externalizes the problem. And then we take a hard look at why we have those reactions. And a lot of times if we dig deeper, not everyone has this, but you look back at childhood and did we grow up in a home where there's a lot of shame or criticism Mm. and a lot of these things may start in childhood. And then the third area is mindfulness. A lot of us here, like mindfulness-based parenting, learning how to really hold those feelings and thoughts of like painful emotional experiences in more of a balanced manner so we have more self-awareness. And when we Mm. can do that, we can engage in more self-reflection. Maybe we journal about it. Maybe we talk to loved ones about it. We're not stuffing our emotions. The last thing we want to do is have a long-term pattern of stuffing our emotions and just telling the world, hey, everything's fine when it's not because eventually those emotions are going to catch up to us. And if we stuff our emotions over and over and over again, over time, it can come out sideways as somatic symptoms such as like headaches, back Mm -hmm. pain, chest pain, anxiety, skin disorders, blood sugar dysregulation, the list goes on. So the three big components of self-compassion are self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. So I'll stop there for a second, Kathleen, before I move into kind of like what the research says about like the health benefits of engaging in this behavior. Well, I I wanted to say about common humanity is like I think that when you're very self-critical, that you isolate yourself and then you begin to believe that you are the only one. You are the only one that is struggling with this. You're the stupid one. You're the one that always messes up. Everybody else has got it all together. So when you engage in that common humanity and community, whether it's with friends or family or you join a support group, then you begin to understand that your struggles are common to humanity And it makes it easier for you to have self-compassion, knowing that others have the same struggles that you do. At least that's what I have found in my life. Absolutely. And that's why a lot of people may enjoy joining a support group Mm because 
you share these common experiences, you know you're not alone, and that can be a, a major piece of the healing process and coping and doing things in isolation. If you look at the research on social isolation, long-term isolation, it can lead to premature death on the mm. worst end of the spectrum. It's been linked to depression, anxiety, irritabilityness, sedentary behaviors, addiction. So social belonging, being in a group, especially if the group has your best intentions in mind, you trust the group, you're vulnerable, all of these things can help enhance health and wellness and you know you're not alone so common humanity is a big big thing definitely right and when you were talking about childhood messages you know I was just talking to Tina from the burnt bean she's a parenting coach and she was we were talking about the fact that you don't have to have a big t trauma in your childhood for you to have wrong assumptions about the world or to have some beliefs that are not compassionate toward yourself or others. It can be like getting these little, you get these little paper cuts in your childhood and you don't think that they are anything serious and they're not. But when you become an adult and you're acting upon those assumptions, like you said, maybe you were in a home where there wasn't as much connection as you needed, or there wasn't an adult that you felt was meeting your needs, even though they were doing the best they could, that can contribute to this self-criticism. Yeah, it sure can. Thanks for mentioning big T traumas. So in the trauma literature, you have big T traumas, simple T traumas. A lot of times when people hear that the the big T, they think that's always the worst. So big Mm -hmm. T trauma could be like a really bad car accident, maybe getting assaulted violently one time, very bad. Mm -hmm. Don't ever want to minimize that. But the the little T traumas, like you said, little paper cuts, it's talked about in the literature. Mm -hmm. And they can have a cumulative effect. So a good example with that of little T traumas would be emotional invalidation. You grow up in a home and you're consistently minimized Mm. or dismissed, or maybe you're not abused physically or sexually, or there's neglect directly or anything like that, but you, you can feel it from your parents or you feel it from your siblings that they're just annoyed by you. They, they, they think that maybe you're not that intelligent. Mm-hmm. Those things over a long period of time and grow and grow and grow and have a snowball effect. And those little T traumas, there could be thousands or tens of thousands of those over a course of childhood, teenage years. And the research too is clear. Kids that had these numerous little T traumas, like emotional validation, dismissive behaviors, just not feeling heard, noticed, valued, they're much more likely to grow up and have depression, anxiety, sleep problems, sometimes higher levels of eating disorders and addiction problems and trust issues and intimacy problems. So it's a real big deal, those little T traumas, as well as the big T traumas. Right, but I think in, like you said, not to minimize the big T traumas. I think when you have a big T trauma, like you had a house fire, then you're more likely to say, you know what, we need to get some counseling, we need to get some therapy, something, you know, you know, you know we need to deal with this. But with the, the paper cups, cuts, the little T traumas, 
we often just ignore them and we don't deal with them. And Very true. We might minimize those little ones. Well, it wasn't as bad as my neighbor who lost their wife or husband to cancer. So we don't want to self-minimize too. And what happens too for some of these people with little T traumas, they're very hard to detect by professionals on face value. So in some cases, they may fly under the radar mm-hmm. and people don't really connect the dots that these little T traumas are maybe the driving factor between why this person has so many physical health challenges, why they maybe turn to drugs and alcohol or why they just never sleep or they just seem to be checked out and they have empathy deficits. They just can't get along with people in a crowd or all of these things can happen as a result of these little T traumas that again have the the kind of that cumulative snowball effect. And part of it too is with these traumas, the timing has a lot to do with it. So if the traumas happen earlier on in life, especially during critical stages of development, it can impact the developing brain way more Mm. than it maybe the trauma happened to someone when they were a teenager or adult. And who committed the trauma? It is very, very clear from the literature that if the trauma was perpetrated by parents or a caregiver, typically the outcomes are worse than if the perpetrator was a stranger or the trauma was a result of a fire or flood and and then after that the caregivers came around and were appropriate and helpful and encouraging and loving people typically do better after a trauma obviously when people support them and love them but if the perpetrator was the parent Mm. or someone that child trusted that's a type of betrayal trauma that might be the worst kind of trauma of them all because it fractures that child's sense of safety. And now they go through life thinking the world is not safe. How can I trust anyone else when my mom or dad or someone close to me did something terrible to me? So that's kind of a just a broad spectrum overview of like simple T trauma, big T traumas, and just developmental trauma, complex trauma, and betrayal trauma. Well, and you get the betrayal trauma. A lot of those kids become foster kids. And so then whenever they are in a foster placement, maybe potentially to be adopted, then they're they're not trustful of the new people in their lives, the new family structure. So that makes it difficult. And I know that's what a lot of our listeners are dealing with because they're foster parents and adoptive parents. And so how do you, how do you, I know I'm getting off topic here, but yeah, no problem. how do you deal with that? Well, I think finding again, a, a network, uh, you can't go wrong working with professionals who understand these topics. Mm-hmm. Self-care is so important. Learning how to self-manage, self-soothe, self-regulate, take care of our sleep, getting exercise, eating healthy, all the the basic things sometimes people might do well with animal assisted therapy or art therapy or music therapy it's there's so many things we can do Mm -hmm. psychoeducation can be helpful just learning about these things especially if it's a caregiver or a newly adoptive parent or foster care parents just educating yourself about all these topics can actually help increase or help motivate us and it can empower us and it can help us look through a different lens and really have more compassion 
for that child and for ourselves. So I find it helpful just learning about these things mm-hmm. is a good starting point, understanding the terms, the research, and just the ins and outs of the causes, the consequences, and the solutions around all these topics. I agree. I think that learning about these things, you know, I mean, from the very beginning after we adopted and I just started researching and studying things like attachment and uh, I already had a degree in education, so I'd taken some childhood development classes, but just digging into those more helped me so much like, oh, this is why this is happening or this is why he is responding this way. He has a, there's a need behind that behavior, and that helped me to parent from that empathetic approach instead of I'm doing everything wrong. So it does really have to do our with our topic self compassion because if you are not educated in these things and you don't know what's going on in their brain, their body, their biology, their behavior, their belief system, all of these things then you're going to feel like it's all your fault because you don't know how to parent, so you're going to be self-critical. But the more you learn, the more self-compassion you can have for yourself and say, oh, okay, so now I know why. Now I can approach this differently, and it's not me. It, it could be his past or something that happened, or I need to change my parenting. Absolutely, and this is a great segue into the benefits of self-compassion. This hopefully is a buy-in for everyone to learn about this topic and implement some of these strategies because if we consistently practice self-compassion, it has been linked to reducing symptoms of various kinds of illnesses so our body just works better. If people have like pain-related problems, Mm -hmm. there's been studies that have shown that self-compassion can actually help reduce physical pain in our body, which makes sense. If our bodies are working better, our inflammation's down, we're getting better sleep, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Self-compassion has been linked to having more adaptive coping skills. So adaptability is a good thing. If, If... If you're ever working with somebody that is not adaptable, they can come off as more rigid Mm -hmm. and more callous. Adaptability is like a tree in a windstorm. If that tree's branches can't move a little bit, it's much more likely to come crashing down. So adaptability, flexibility, very important. It's also been linked to getting better sleep. So if you have sleep problems, several studies have shown if you start practicing self-compassion, that could be a potential intervention to help maybe manage insomnia a little bit better. If you have central nervous system dysfunction, so people that have had these extensive traumas Mm -hmm. in utero exposures to drugs, alcohol, more likely to have nervous system dysfunction. Self-compassion may help calm down the nervous system. So if you have a lot of irritability, rumination, you just feel really dysregulated in your body, practice this. It could help calm the body down a little bit. Hmm. If you're ever working with people who have problematic problem-solving or decision-making abilities where they have a really hard time making healthy decisions, solving problems, and they really struggle with conflict management issues. Mm -hmm. Self-compassion has been shown to improve problem-solving abilities as well. 
and if some people struggle with self-soothing, like the ability to just tap into their own resources and learn how to calm ourselves down, self-compassion is linked to improved self-soothing abilities as well. And if any of you are working in the criminal justice system or are raising a child or teenager who is starting to engage in criminal activity or violent, aggressive behavior, a good handful of studies are now looking at the use of self-compassion interventions in reducing criminal thinking behavior Hmm. as well as aggressive behaviors. And self-compassion too, interestingly, is also linked to an increase in emotional recognition, empathy, and perspective-taking abilities. So that's just a few of the benefits associated with this. So the list goes really on and on and on. But it's really worth, I think, learning about this topic. And I, I do a lot of work in the area of like forensic mental health. There, there's some studies, too, that show that self-compassion can actually lower narcissistic tendencies. So if you ever work with people that are narcissistic, mm-hmm. might be a helpful intervention to try as well. And self-compassion has also been linked to engaging in more healthy eating habits. So if people have just really problematic patterns with eating really unhealthy foods, mm-hmm. there there's some evidence, too, that if you infuse self-compassion interventions into it, it can really be helpful in improving our overall eating habits as well as our health and wellness And I would say, too, that when we're looking at this through like a lens of mindfulness-based parenting, Mm -hmm. again, remember, anytime we practice mindfulness, that is a component of self-compassion. And if you are wanting to become more mindful in your parenting, self-compassion is a component of it. Active listening, having really non-judgmental acceptance of yourself and your child. Hmm. Part of that too is having better self-regulation as a parent. So if you are more regulated when you're stressed out, you're modeling that behavior to your child. And I think too, it can really help increase just our overall thinking, our problem-solving, decision-making as a parent, especially during really difficult, stressful times. Well, that's I, I wrote them all down. That's fourteen things so far. <laughs> so that's a really that's what that's why I was quiet for a minute. I was writing that overall thinking one down because that is a lot. That is a lot of things that having self compassion affects, and yeah. it and you know it's it's such a strange concept to think if I am nicer to myself and I am more forgiving of my mistakes and my missteps and my I ate too many donuts last night or you know or I yelled at the kids and I need to get back on track if we are more patient with ourselves and more forgiving with ourselves that we have all of these benefits yeah we have absolutely all of these benefits and I have seen like with teenage boys in my experience just working with them like they, you were talking about, you know, if they're going to get into trouble with the law, which we don't want them to. I have found that those boys were harder on themselves than anyone was. Like, I just messed up. I did it wrong. I just, you know, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. And so this is, you know, this is huge for them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Anybody working in the criminal justice system or mental health or human service or child protection arena, 
Mm-hmm. Getting training in this, being aware of it, is only going to help you be more effective working with complex cases. And you'll probably feel better yourself and lower burnout because a lot of professionals who work in those helping professions are much more prone to burnout as well. So there's so many benefits of this. Right. And I feel like with the teenagers, the message to them in, in, the, in our culture not from me personally or you, but just in our culture is, you know, get back in line, behave, you messed up, do it right. And that's not helping them. Especially if we're talking about neurodevelopmental disorder kids or teenagers, because traditional approaches and just saying, Hey, get better, do this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't land. And part of the reason why it doesn't land is a lot of these individuals may deal with abstract thinking deficits where they struggle with understanding how and why questions and connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. So we, we could talk about that in another segment, like just really becoming like abstract reasoning informed through a parenting lens. It will change your paradigm in terms of how to talk to your kids and how to use consequences more effectively. That's Whole a, other can of worms. I don't want to open that too much today, but definitely something to think about. Yeah, that's definitely a, a podcast that I would like to record. But we need to finish up for today. So, is there are there any last words that you have for our listeners on this topic? I would say too, if you look at the empirical based literature on self compassion. It has also been shown to be positively correlated with higher levels of optimism. Mm. So when you study self-compassion, learning about optimism and gratitude and hopeful thinking really is a component of this. Self-compassion has also been linked to having better social connectedness. And it's also been linked with having higher levels of emotional intelligence. Several studies have shown that, too. And I know in a previous segment, you and I talked about emotional intelligence-informed parenting, I believe. So Mm -hmm. part of that would be learning about self-compassion. And emotional intelligence, we know, is one of the best predictors of success in life. So a lot of these things definitely overlap and link together. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining us again today. You're welcome. Honored to be here. This is wonderful. And I think this was a very valuable topic, and I hope you listeners get a lot out of it. Thanks for joining us. Bye. You're welcome, Kathleen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.